Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Well, hello there, parents. We are actually at our home today, both of us in the same place. It's- That's a rare one, isn't it? Honey, we're, we're just not on the road. We're right in our house. What a great thing. It is, and they're fixing the road outside of our house, which is also a great thing because it had giant potholes in it. So speaking of the road... Speaking of the road, that's right. And, you know, there's nothing like travel to make you appreciate home. The, be- the best part of travel, the two best parts of traveling are leaving and then coming home. And uh, I keep telling you, Linda, that we're traveling too much. And you keep saying, but what would we do if we just stayed home all the time? We'd be bored. <laughs> I know. You shouldn't say that on the radio. But, you know, when you come home, you have to start cooking again and cleaning and everything when you're traveling Somebody else makes a bed, and well, unless you're going to kids, and then you're really working. I mean, then you know, you're really working. You're That's going right. back to work. Well, I've been down in Austin, Texas, speaking to some wonderful parents about. Actually, this was all men. This was all dads, and that was really interesting. My my whole message to them was get more involved with your family because if you don't, you're missing out. If all you're doing is going to work. And your your spouse is raising the kids. Guess what? You're getting the short end of the stick. You're doing the lesser of the roles, and you better fight for equal time and get more involved in being a good dad and a good parent. Otherwise, you're missing out. I think you had one dad who was between businesses. These are people who they're entrepreneurs. They're serial entrepreneurs. So. They'd go from one business to the next, and he just closed out one. He said, I just think I'll take a whole year, and I'm just going to make these systems work. Well, I'm going to be a full-time dad, he <laughs> said. I said, well, more power to you. I wonder how long it'll last. Yeah, I wonder. I, I don't know. But anyway, it is good to see really good parents doing their very best. In fact, we've just been talking this week about this is an era of parenting like none other. There are so many great parents but they're fighting a system that is so scary in the world as far as the family goes. Well, they are. I think it's true. The parents are working. Not all parents, but there is there are pretty good data, pretty good studies that show that educated parents, those with a college degree or those who have attended college, tend to take parenting very, very seriously, more so than previous generations, dads and moms. And, you know, just the word parenting, it's a, it's a big deal word now. There's parenting sections in every bookstore you go in, and there's a lot of books there, a lot of ideas. It's become a field of study. It's become a, a skill set. It's become something people work on. And yeah, that's I, a really wonderful thing. And by, let me just quickly say we're going uh, day after tomorrow to um, – where are we going? Oh, first to Florida, Florida to speak to a group of parents, and then to Orange County in California. And, and once again, some of you as listeners may say, gee, why? what do the IRS do? I mean, what, you're on the road all the time. You're speaking to parents. Where do you go? What What is the market for for parenting? And I'll tell you, it's it's shockingly large. I mean, talk about a self-perceived need. There are people all over this country who are open to any sort of I guess that means two things. It means number one, they're they're more interested in trying to be good parents, but also it means they're at their wits' end sometimes. It's like, throw me a lifeline here, you know, give me something 
that'll let me survive this parenting because it's the hard, as you always say, Linda, it's the hardest job in the world. It is, and especially for helicopter parents who <laughs> are hovering over those children all the time. And uh, we, uh, you know, really, an only child is so much harder than nine. I have to just throw that in there <laughs> because. Well, we, in a manner of speaking. Well, I mean, there's more laundry, there's more food, you know, there's more dirt, but. We had an only child for the last three years of our parenting when our kids were home, and it was the hardest three years of my life because you're the whole show. You have to do everything. So anyway, that's kind of beside the point. I was going to say, though, that parenting was not even a word uh, 50 years ago. No one had heard of parenting. You're right, yeah. And uh, we were just with a fun group last night of friends talking about a new book that we're working on and and, uh, talking about marriage a little bit and saying, why isn't there a word called marriaging or you know spousing 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 or or husbanding or wifing there just isn't a word for that so we'll have to think think about well and you know it is interesting i asked this austin group uh last week uh, just kind of on the spur of the moment i said how many of you just without thinking about it just off the top of your head how many of you think you're you're working harder at parenting and how many of you think you're working harder at spousing or at being a good husband because these were all dads, and uh, 80% of them, 80% thought they were doing better at parenting and working harder at it than they were at being a good husband. And that's that's actually a big concern because, you know, we believe in the old cliche, the best thing you can do for your children is to love their mother or their dad in the case of women. And Frankly, to to be a good parent without putting much effort in into your marriage is often a recipe for disaster. I mean, I respect people who work hard at parenting, but man, it has to be a team effort if and you're I, married. I think it has to be a, co- a conscious effort because we have um, one of our children. I'm thinking of particularly. Uh, they really, she and her spouse, really show a lot of love for each other when they're with each other. I mean, it's not ridiculous, you know, rubbing each other's backs and kissing and so on. But it's just a very affectionate relationship. You can tell that. And some people don't just naturally do that when they're with their spouse. But it means a lot to the kids and to the people that are around to know that you love each other. And there are ways of doing that just subtly that, you know, that's not obnoxious, that really helps people know this is a good relationship and we love each other. Well, it gives the kids a lot of security, doesn't it? And, and, and vice versa. You've probably seen the studies that say, you know, little kids, when they uh, when they get to be in elementary school and they see their parents fighting, they wonder in their little minds right away, are my parents going to get divorced? This and, is a divorce, And yeah. so you've got to let, and, and I don't, by the way, we don't think that means that you must never let your kids see you disagree. In fact, it's probably good for them on some levels to see that mom and dad <laughs> both have their own opinions, their own their own minds, and so on, but... They really need to see you make up. They need to see you reconcile. They need to see you resolve. And you need to show, you need to say to them, "Here's, hey, you know mom and I had a disagreement yesterday. Here's how we resolved it. And then kids are secure and they actually learn from it. And it's very, very important. But, you know, getting back to what you said earlier, Linda, we want to we put a lot of effort, this show, into something that has worried us a lot, and we were talking about it last night with this 
group of brainstorming literary friends that we have and the idea that you know the problem even these parents who you're mentioning Linda who really really are conscientious and really really want to try hard the problem is we live in a world where there are certain we call them false paradigms I'm sorry for that kind of obscure word but a paradigm is a worldview or the way you the way you view things the way you see the world and and there are some huge false paradigms out there that way too many parents are buying into and and as a result parenting gets very very hard for them and we want to mention four of them to you today yeah you you go ahead and lay it out richard and then we'll talk about it <clears throat> well yeah i think number one there's this this huge one we're going to try to get through all four of these so we're going to have to move pretty fast the first one is the media minority masquerading as a majority. And what we mean by that is, you know, the, the amorality and the sex and the violence that occurs on television and in video games and in other forms of media is not the norm, and yet it's portrayed as though it were the norm. And it causes a lot of parents to think, wow, I'm the one that's out of step. They're... There, there, you know, there's all these things going on, and that's the that's the norm in the world, and that really has a negative effect on parents and on kids. The second one is materialism. That's kind of an obvious one, but the materialism in this country and in Western countries in general in Europe is so rampant that it makes parenting very, very hard because kids begin to think in terms of materialism and parents do and parents tend to work harder on getting more material things than they do on their relationships so that's obviously a big one the third one is we call it recreational sex hedonism and instant gratification the whole the whole idea that you have to have things right now not only material things but but uh, you know, sexual gratification and so on, and it leads to a society where kids grow up thinking, "Oh, sex and uh, love should go together and do go together before you're married." And, and that 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 paradigm, even though it is not the norm, affects kids and affects parents' ability to try to control kids. And the fourth one is conditional or situational ethics. Like it's okay to do this. Even though it's usually wrong, I can do it now because I've got a good excuse. And and we don't, you know, it's hard to raise kids where there aren't clear lines of black and white and right and wrong. So we think that the world around us sort of foists upon us these four false paradigms, which make parenting very, very hard. It does make it very hard. <clears throat> and... Let us just give you a couple examples because you, you will resonate with these because it's just what you see all the time in the media, whether it's the magazines or whether it's the billboards or whether it's TV, soap operas, whatever, um, or just regular TV shows where they're, they're cutting people up all the time and, you know, the gore and all that stuff. <clears throat> I don't know how often that even really happens. But, for example, you see a, a housewife may watch a soap and decide that, at least subconsciously, that her life is incredibly drab and unexciting and that she must be the only woman in America who stays home with her children. And there are so many like that. There's so many 
um, women who are in the in the police force, attorneys, uh, you know, doing high-powered things in the media, and uh, not a lot of show of um, children. I mean, um, let's see. The Good Wife. We used to follow that at the first. We haven't so much lately, but she's so occupied with her glamorous life as an attorney that the kids show up once in a while, and she loves them and so on and takes care of them, but we just keep thinking, so where are the kids? (laughs) And, you know, somebody watches that and thinks, oh, that's a life for me. I I really love that glitz. I love the way that looks to me. Well, and let me just say, here's the sort of dangerous notions that stem from the media masquerading as a majority. Let me just tick them off. Number one, everybody does it, so therefore it's okay for me to do it. Number two, violence is just a part of the landscape and shouldn't shock or disturb us that much. Number three, tolerance is the prime virtue. Anything that anyone does is okay. Number four, traditional values and traditional families are out of date and old-fashioned. Number five, there are no consequences. If it doesn't hurt anyone, it's not a problem. Number six, you're in touch and therefore you're in tune. Number seven, we don't create society's values, says the media. We just reflect them. So that, that's, that's where it leads us, the fact that, that the minority masquerades as a majority. And, and then um, we're going to take a brief break, and then we're going to give you a little list of the dangerous notions that, uh, that stem from these other false paradigms, from materialism, from recreational sex and instant gratification, and from conditional or situational ethics. So we'll be right back after this break to continue to talk about the dangers for parents of false paradigms. we're back and we're talking about the dangers of false paradigms that so many of us, all of us, see in the media and all around us that really make us think that we are out of the mainstream. Um, Let me just start with mentioning the dangerous notion stemming from materialism uh, because that is one of the... um, First of all, you are your work. Isn't that what people tell us? You are your work. Yeah, these are the these are things. These things sort of in quotes, and these are the notions that people get. This is what people say because they're so imbued with this false paradigm of materialism. Right. Then, um, then the next one: He who dies with the most toys wins. Um, that's. You know, people think that they have to have the the new car, the new house, the keeping up with the neighbors, and so on. And as much as we don't think that we're like that every once in a while, that uh, rears its ugly head in, yeah, read, in our life. Read that whole list, and then let's talk about them as a whole. All right, here's the next one. Image is everything. All I want is the lamb next to mine. It takes at least two full-time incomes to raise a family. You deserve it before you earn it, which deals with instant gratification, of course. Um, I want to have it all. More is better. It's impossibly expensive to raise a child today. That's a big one. Money is the goal. Work is the purpose. Economics is the explanation. 
and preschools and daycare give more to kids than parents can. I mean, those things, we, we know when we think about it that those are wrong, and yet that's sort of the landscape, that's sort of the ground rules, that's sort of the typical everyday behavior in this false paradigm, and we fall into it. And when you think about trying to raise a child with those notions going on all around that child and all around you as a parent, it really, really gets difficult. My, my, uh, and again, these sort of stem back a lot to media and to the popular culture. And my favorite one in a negative sense of the word is you just can't afford to have a child. Come on. Do you know it takes nearly a half a million dollars to raise a child, where would you get that kind of money? You better not have a child. You better just choose not to. And by the way, you're sort of a hero if you choose not to have a child or to only have one child because then you won't be part of this terrible thing of overpopulating the world. Exactly, which is so interesting because what we need more than anything is more children, particularly in some countries like Singapore. But um, I I have to just throw in here the interesting speech that the Pope gave uh, within the last little while about um, really basically it was uh, quit getting pets, have children. Yeah, he really, if Pope Francis really, uh, and he's taking a lot of flack for it, but I say hats off to him for saying, you know, you you, he was speaking to a group of, of young couples, by the way, when he said this, Linda, and he said, if you... If you think that you, you know, can have a pet and it will give you the same fulfillment as a child, you need to think again. And, um, again, nothing against pets. In fact, I think you should have kids and pets. (laughs) Yes, we sure do. We had a house full of both when our kids were growing up. But it really is interesting that, you know, pets, for one thing, they die before you do. And so there's really nobody to take care of you in the end. I mean, that's kind of, you think, well, that's pretty selfish. But in the end, we really do need somebody around us to take care of us when we're older. And uh, there's so many people deciding not to have children that are going to have lonely lives when they're old. Well, and the whole idea, this you know, I'm amazed how many people are still on the really old sort of message of overpopulation and let's get down to zero population growth and so on. And people really haven't done their homework lately and realized that, as you say, Linda, more than half the countries in the world now have a less than replacement birth rate. In other words, their populations are going down unless they have immigrants coming in to, to make up the rest of the workforce. So and I think you know I think part of it, and again, I'm not trying to accuse anyone. I just think it's we're not talking about people here. We're talking about these false paradigms, these false notions. And when you hear someone say, "Well, you know, I just I just think I better not have a child because I don't want to use up more than my share of the world's resources." A lot of times, I'm afraid that's a rationalization. What it really means is I. I want to keep my life simple and free and abundant and use my money to buy things for myself rather than on my kids. And so, therefore, uh, and again, I'm I'm on thin ice there. I don't want to judge anyone's motive. No, and, of course, there are people who would love to have children and don't have the opportunity. But anyway, that's one of the things. Now, Now, let's go to the third false paradigm, dangerous notions stemming from instant gratification and recreational recreational sex, sex, particularly recreational sex. So 
if you're affected by this, if your children or our culture around us is affected by this false paradigm, you, you begin to hear messages like this. Hey, what I do in my private life only affects me. If it feels good, do it. Nice guys finish last. Affairs are the norm and teen sex is the norm. Sex is a, is a wonderful form of recreation. You owe yourself these experiences. That's the kind of dangerous notions that start stemming from this idea that, uh, you know, you should have whatever you want right now and whatever makes you feel good. There's nothing that makes parenting and growing up responsible more difficult than that kind of false paradigm. You know, it reminds me of we were in Saudi Arabia a few years ago, and uh, we were having lunch with some mothers and teenage daughters, and they were so curious. They said, just tell us, you know, tell us about how it is when you can just go to bed with your on your first date with the guy, just, you know, whether you like him or not, because we know that's how it is in America. And I said, wait, wait, that's not how our children are. That's how the, not how the majority of children are. But they said, no, 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 we have read your magazines. We have seen TV. We know what you're like, and we want to know how that, how that works. Yeah, that's, that comes from believing the tabloids, right, or the soap operas. Or well, the, anything, uh, magazines, anything. Yeah, yeah. that's right. So it, it can be a huge problem. Let's move to the last of the four, and there may be a lot more than this, but the idea, the, the, the last false paradigm we're talking about today is this conditional or situational ethics and sort of the whole idea that... Uh, some things are okay at some times and not at other times. There's no absolutes. There's there's no absolute right and wrong. And, um, you know, self-help is probably more important than religious help because it's more flexible and, and so on. In other words, there's no permanent values. Imagine trying to raise kids without a set of clear, believed-in values. It makes it very, very hard. And so you get this kind of dangerous notions. Have you got that, honey, on page 150? Yeah. What, what are the things? So think of these as the things people say in their minds or verbally if they're affected by the false paradigm of conditional ethics. Uh, this is what they say. Do whatever you want because there is no absolute right or wrong. A lot of people do think that. We need values-neutral education. And, wow, after all the time our schools have spent trying to teach honesty to our children and courage and so on, that's sad. Poverty causes the destruction of values rather than the reverse. Uh, that's an interesting one. I can do anything I want and have anything I want, and I am number one. There really are so, oh, and then it goes on. All of my problems are emotional and mental, not spiritual. You need professional expertise to teach kids. Religion is self-serving and self-righteous. We can understand and explain everything. There is no ultimate source of good or evil. No God, no culprits. And again, you know, these are stated sort of in the extreme, but it's this kind of notions that start spreading from the culture we live in today. And, and as a parent, sometimes you feel like, wow, everything that the media is telling my kids everything they're learning on the Internet, everything they're hearing from their peers, all these things are working against me. And I'm sort of standing alone as the parent trying to stem that tide and trying to 
raise responsible kids who have values and who know what's right and wrong and who know how to wait for things that they want and and save for them and so on. I mean, listen, all parents want the same things for their kids. It's just that they look at the society around them, and we're running into more and more parents who are like, what can I do? I'm I'm overwhelmed. I'm just one little voice crying in the wilderness. What I'm trying to get my kids to do is swallowed up by all these other cultures that are teaching them counterfeit messages. And and what we're trying to say to you parents today is get it in your mind that these are false paradigms. You know they are and that the truth can win out and you can be a bigger influence over your kids than all these other voices that are coming at them from other sources. Well, um, we know that, as you said, Richard, some of these are sound extreme to us because we live in a world where values are so important to parents and where you know, they they don't really think that their achievements are more important than their relationships. They think they realize their their family is the most important and first priority, and so on. And we're not saying that the rest of the world is uh, otherwise as these things that we've read. We're just saying that these are false paradigms that we really need to watch out for because they are being taught um, everywhere. Everywhere you turn, you see this, and and sometimes you just say, ah, oh, that's just a bunch of bunk. But other times you think, oh, maybe that's right. You know, maybe maybe I'm just not in step with what's going on. So we really have to be aware and guard against those kinds of things. Well, you, you know, again, you start thinking about what happens to individuals within our society. Easy credit sort of undermines self-discipline. Elaborate welfare systems erode self-confidence. Merchandising and advertising sort of downplay balance and and say you should have it right now. Um, even complex tax codes sort of encourage dishonesty. I mean, you can go on and on. Sort of macho attitudes and and media violence uh, contradict peacefulness and 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 love for for people. Uh, loyalty to family is sort of replaced often by economically mandated loyalty to your job. It's like. Again, we face a lot of opposition as parents, but our message to you today is you're the one that controls your household, and you can be sure that what goes on in your home is true principles, not false paradigms. So we just close today by saying thank you. If you're raising responsible children in your house, we know that it's scary and we know that it's a hard thing to do, but we congratulate you, and we will see you next time on Ayers on the Road.